Well, looks like we're back in that old dusty trail again. Yep. Get back in the back in the gamer chair, you know? <laughs> I have a follow up for that. <laughs> okay, we have to cut all this, I guess. <laughs> I'm Dante Centauri, and I love to talk about insects. I'm Mia Centauri, and I also love to talk about insects. So we'll be talking about insects together on oh, Insect Week. <laughs> Back in the saddle. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I was going for, but I forgot about the word saddle. I forgot so, about saddle. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so yeah, we are talking about the ever-present monarch butterfly. It's probably uh, one of the most recognizable, uh, you know, popular insects out there just at all you know i think they kind of rank up there with you know honeybees and that kind of thing as far as species that everyone recognizes and loves mm-hmm. yeah monarchs are their uh their latin name is uh danis plexippus and they're part of the order lepidoptera which are lepidopterans are all butterflies i think we covered that by twelve tales but they're part of the family nephalidae they're called the brushwood butterflies and you can easily recognize them because they only actually stand on four legs and they keep the front two kind of tucked up in the abdomen and these these front feet are usually reduced so that's mm-hmm. an obvious if you see it standing on four legs it's almost certainly a brushwood butterfly and the, their common name is believed to come from early settlers when they got here they saw this bright orange butterfly and they named it after king william who was at the time the king of britain and he was referred to as the prince of orange so people think that that's the reason why monarchs are called monarch butterflies. There's a lot of other uh, you know, pretty notable brush-footed butterflies you probably have seen or know about, like blue morphos, mm-hmm. um, American snouts, uh, painted ladies. Those are all. Those are also brush-footed butterflies. Yeah, the monarch. The monarch that is most commonly known is one of actually three species of monarch butterflies, and this, yeah, as I mentioned before, Danis, Danis plexibus. And this this, mod- this butterfly's range encompasses all of North America, up into southern Canada a bit, and a bit into South America. But they're not actually restricted in the United States. They live in they live in Australia, they live in the Pacific Islands, they live in New Zealand. There are some that show up in Europe. They're not native to those areas, but they've kind of spread into those ranges. Um, like there actually there have been some sightings as far as North Africa, and there's an established population living in Spain. And they kind of they they ended up in the Pacific Islands at least through people think they kind of maybe island hopped because they we have records of them being in hawaii by the 1840s and after that it's thought that they either transported as eggs on boats that were shipping milkweed which is a decorative plant or they just flew to different islands and now they're spread across the entire pacific region live in australia i mentioned new zealand they're in the philippines a bit i believe and in, in europe they end up there by accident pretty much i think they just kind of like like, some of them maybe get transported in American milky varieties. Some of them might no. fly over back. It's as like, well. ah, damn it. Again? Yeah, they, they wake up. <laughs> I feel like, I like to imagine, you know, all these, um, these, you mostly hear stuff about insects that are introduced species. It's like, uh, they're accidentally transported. This and, that. and I like to imagine it was all the same guy, you know? Yeah. He <laughs> was like, can you just check them? The, 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 these populations in Europe, they never really, they can't establish themselves because the temperatures just aren't right. So they usually die out. But as I said before, there's a population in Spain that uh, persists. The second species, Danis aeropus, is extremely similar to Danis plexibus. And they even actually, they actually have the same genome. But they, mm. the two species can't reproduce, which separates them. And this species is 
it occupies South America. So basically the range that the monarch butterfly we know, Danis plexibus, whatever range it doesn't have in the Americas, Danis aeropus does. And these, they're distinct because they don't show the migratory tendencies of its northern sister. So they don't migrate. And then there's a third species, which is the Jamaican mark, Jamaican monarch, uh, Danis cleophile, and it only lives in the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Jamaica. So is that a totally separate species then? Yeah, those are all the, there are three different species. And so the, they're all located in the Americas, but the plexibus that has spread across the world pretty much. And there are a couple, like, there are diff- a bunch of different subspecies, but the most interesting one is the white monarch, and it's a, the morph is... Well, don't tell me what color it is. Yeah. <laughs> I want to guess. It's entirely white. The, the stuff that would no. orange. <laughs> the, all the orange, the stuff that would be orange is white, and it occurs across the world, but in Hawaii, it occurs at rates up to about 10%, which is way higher than, I think, like, the less than 1% chance you have to see it. Um, just across the world, and it's so high in Hawaii because in in Hawaii the monarchs just have naturally less glycosides in their system because the host plant that live on there has them has less of it in its system as well. So standard orange monarch, oh. monarchs, the color is supposed to deter predators by showing that it's poisonous, but if it's not poisonous, it just shows them off. And so they're eaten a lot by birds called bulbuls, and mm. the white monarchs are actually eaten less by them, and because that the morph might be harder for them to see. So there, there might be a trend in Hawaii where these white monarchs are slowly starting to, uh, d- like, they're, they're more evolutionary favored than the standard types. Yeah, and actually, um, not even just with that species of uh, monarch, but, uh, well, the way, because, you know, the, the reason why they have that color is because of the, uh, like, uh, the, the poison or the toxin in the, um, the milkweed. And th- there are some birds that can eat the normal monarchs because they can actually differentiate the parts of the body that have more of um, more of the, the milkweed mm-hmm. stuff built up in them. Because so, it's mostly present in the abdomen and the wings. And so some birds can just eat the good parts uh, and leave the yucky parts behind. So Yeah, so monarchs have a pretty a pretty you know, standard life cycle. It's the same as, 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 as most lepidopterans. You know, they, they go through complete metamorphosis. They start out as an egg you know, that hatches and they turn to a caterpillar. Uh, and your caterpillars are basically just food tubes. Um, uh, and the caterpillars, they eat milkweed. And actually, when they're very little, uh, the the latex that the, the milkweed produces, like th- that white milk, is actually, it can potentially trap and, you know, and basically drown uh, the very young caterpillars. Um, so that when they eat, they, they go in this circular motion, uh, which prevents them from being trapped um, by that. And obviously, the, and you can see there... The, the yellow and black, which warns predators from eating them, um, because they have uh, those uh, th- those toxins built up inside them from the milkweed. Which that doesn't stop uh, them from being preyed upon, though. The caterpillars can be eaten sometimes by you know just things like like spiders, and there's also uh, several parasites that will attack the monarch caterpillars. There's some some species of tachnid fly that will lay their eggs on them. There's plenty of wasps that will also lay their eggs uh, on the caterpillar or, or in the the pupa. So yeah, they're not they're not immune from predation, but it does prevent predation from things like birds. And they also you can see if you look at them, they have those antenna in the front and the back, and the ones in the back are to sort of confuse predators uh, as to what is the head and you know what is the butt. Yeah, the thing about um, animals that are poisonous, you know, rather than, than toxic, is that essentially is just the evolutionary 
uh, equivalent of taking on for the team. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they eat and they grow and then they uh, they turn into a pupa or, you know, chrysalis. They usually will uh, turn into a butterfly in about, you know, 12 or 11 days or so. And then they turn to adult and fly away. So, yeah, their their actual life cycle is not especially, not necessarily, not interesting, but, you know, there's nothing super exceptional about it, I guess. It's, it's kind of a standard butterfly yeah. life cycle. They do have some kind of interesting ways that they handle the latex problem. Because you mentioned, like, when they're, when they're just born, they can be quickly killed and engulfed by it. So they have to mm-hmm. be, like, really careful when they cut those circles out and eat within them. When they get a bit older, yeah. the latex is still an issue. So a lot of times the animal will just bite at the stem to, like, and that releases the pressure inside the leaf and it doesn't put latex yeah, in there. Yeah, like, they bleed it, basically. Yeah, once they bite the stem, they can just eat the rest of the leaf. Yeah. Another really uh, extraordinary part of the adult form, uh, not the caterpillar, is their migration. As, as I mentioned before, the, the only monarchs that perform this giant migration are the Danis plexibus, which when I say monarchs, I'm referring to them after this point. And there are only a subset of those that do this big migration. It's only the eastern population of the United States, which is basically all monarchs east of the Rocky Mountains. And But other po- other populations do show migratory tendencies. Um, the western population is a bit south. The population in Australia is a bit westward towards the Pacific. A lot of populations mm-hmm. and islands and such, they do a little bit of motion so they don't have a giant Mexican migration. But they still do show some migratory tendencies. The modern migration is triggered by a couple of different factors, like the ones you'd expect, like temperature, daylight. They use the angle of the light coming from the sun. Uh, larval hosts, larval host plants begin to senesce and die. And by this time, they've made it up to about like the, the higher Midwest and southern Canada. And so they stop and they start coming back. And they yeah. migrate back down to Mexico through two main flyways. There's a central one that goes straight down to Mexico. And there's an eastern one that follows the coast. And the eastern eastern flyway contributes less to the overall Mexican and overwintering population. And there are a couple of theories as to why this happens. It could be that the route's more dangerous. It's harder because butterflies in this route are found with less fat reserves than the central flyway one. Mm. It's signifying that it's more challenging. It's a more challenging trip for them. And they're also a decent amount siphoned off by... They go to... There are other overwintering spots in Florida that they overwinter at, and there are some warmer areas in Cuba that they just fly off and completely just go to Cuba. This eastern flyway, people believe that it wasn't there when settlers came here, that it was it's a more recent development of the monarchs, because mm, as, as people moved in, they chopped down more trees and everything. There's more space yeah, for open so. fields for the, micro, for the monarchs' host plant. So they kind of moved more eastern in their, in their range and end up in the eastern flyway. So it's less of a kind of more established route. Yeah, it's actually... That's interesting. Yeah, so they they changed their their migration as recently as you know, like however many like was it like uh, yeah like a couple years ago? a couple hundred years ago that this path popped up yeah. because the monarchs moved in and so that's maybe why it doesn't contribute much much as much to Mexico because it's a little newer. They're finding like different migratory spots or it's not like a standard route. Yeah. The overwintering site for monarch. There's the iconic Mexico one that they reach after. Yeah. They migrate all the way down south, and this is one generation that makes the migration down. Like the monarchs that make it up to the up to the southern Canada and the Midwest, those adults, they all go down. There aren't multiple generations coming down. It's just one giant group that makes it down to Mexico. All their overwintering sites, not just Mexico, they share the same characteristics of they're, they're frost-free, they have access to drinking water, um, they have big trees, and then they're most, mostly inactive in their, in their overwintering spots. They just, you've seen pictures of them all grouped up in the trees. Yeah. They mostly just sit there and only come down to like sip a little bit of water. And then the the northward migration is uh, kicked off similarly from the southward one, 
due to like temperatures, sun rays, day length, blah blah blah, and they migrate northward again. The first generation only gets about as far as Texas, and then they they die because an adult monarch's lifespan is only about two months regularly. So they they breed their legs and they die, and then a second generation moves forward, and a third second second and then a second generation moves forward a bit, dies, lays eggs. Those grow up, move forward a bit more. By the time they get to the second or third generation, they fully repopulated their land in America. And then the mm-hmm. fourth generation is the one that comes back down to Mexico. I feel like being part of the generations that doesn't get to go to Mexico is kind of like drawing the short straw. Yeah, it's a bit of a raw deal. You're like, yeah, the egg hatch is like, wait, when's my birthday? Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, where am I? Idaho. Oh, come on. Yeah. I'll never get up there in time. Mom. I told you not to have me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's no real consensus as to how exactly they navigate. This is still relatively a, a mystery. There are some pieces of the puzzle that are being put together, but the whole picture is still a little unclear. Some people theorize they use the sun to navigate because they, they have an actual they have a circadian rhythm in their antenna, actually, which is interesting. And they found this out by they chopped some monarch's antenna off, and then it didn't have a circadian rhythm anymore. <laughs> so when they're navigating during the day, they can like see the sun, and they can compare the sun's position to their internal clock, and then they can navigate based off of it. So, like, if the sun's in this position, then I know it's this time of day, so I have to go this direction to keep going south. So that's kind of how how, the, how that sort of migration works. And they, they, they tested this in the lab by they basically they ca- they captured a monarch out of the wild. They glued it to a string in a box and just, like, shined a light on it that simulated the sun. And, it, like, it, the monarch, like, flew at it. So they just had a Idiot. monarch in a box <laughs> attached to a leash, basically. <laughs> I, I I just I love hearing insect experiments be described. You know, they're all, yeah, they all just yeah. sound so. Saying it when <laughs> saying it in non-technical terms just makes it sound really dumb. Yeah, like I mean, that's essentially what it is. But also, <laughs> yeah, and then we we grab it and we give it a leash. Yeah. It's like you can have like a very interesting and you know like informative uh, study where it's like, oh, that's actually really helps us understand how this animal works. But also you describe it and it's like. You know, they gave praying mantis his 3D glasses. They put a monarch on a leash like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's also a theory of them inheriting a map, but this is pretty contested. And yeah, people, I think I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, that's like that was a little more recent. That there was, I think there was a study saying it was right and saying it was wrong, but that's pretty a hot topic. And there are some theories that the landscape really shapes how they migrate, like just natural mountains and resting spots push them kind of towards Mexico. And we know they have an internal magnetic compass as well. But how they specifically get to the same spot in Mexico is still pretty much unknown. Yeah, well, monarchs, yeah, obviously they are really impressive with their uh, their migration and all that. But um, unfortunately, they are also, uh, there's been a lot of issues with, with their conservation. They're not uh, technically classified as, as an endangered species. They're, they're quote, secure um, as far as we know, they've had all the, they've had like a ninety or more than a ninety percent drop in their total number. Total yeah, but there's been though. I think it's it's they're currently I think in the process of trying to get them certified as an endangered species. Uh, yeah, because their population has dropped like in a really alarming amount through the past years. Um, it's I think it's yeah it's it's something yeah something like eighty percent or something. It's 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 gone down. Um, and yeah, there's been just far less uh, monarchs and migrations and stuff, and it's there's definitely there's there's definitely an issue. 
Um, and it's not a single cause hasn't been identified, but it's most likely a lot. A lot of it ha probably has to do uh, with with habitat loss. Um, through well, I mean, first of all, there's plenty of things that cause habitat loss between just you know areas where milkweed grows being cleared out because it's it is you know technically a weed. You know, people don't want it in their landscapes and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of habitat loss that comes from that. People just pulling it out or paving over areas where there's a lot of milkweed. And there's also a lot of problems with uh, herbicides that just, you know, demolish just millions and millions of, of acres of uh, milkweed and of all different species. Um, and this is very prevalent in the Midwest here, actually. Uh, and... It you know there's a lot of, uh, of farming and stuff, um, and it's I think I think we yeah we've lost 120 to 150 million acres of of our milkweed habitat in the Midwest. It's practically non-existent compared to uh, what it used to be. And then another big problem is just on the way uh, when, while they're migrating, uh, you know aside from things that affect where they can actually lay their eggs and, and propagate and stuff, uh, a lot of them get killed uh, by car strikes actually. Um, because, you know, when they're passing highways and stuff, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of cars and they just get exploded yeah. on people's windshields. You never think of like cars as a giant existential threat toward insects, but there are a lot of, if you ever looked at like the front dash of your car, all the bugs plastered on it, like, yeah, multiply that by like millions of vehicles. And these, these highways can be huge environmental obstacles. Yeah. They, they, they did a study of a road, uh, like a road in Northern Mexico. This is like, this is last year, it's 2019. So it's very recent. And it showed that something uh, close to two hundred thousand monarchs died on this on this road. So, yeah, it is a pretty big problem with just car strikes. And obviously, there are other things. Um, they have they monarchs do have you know just predators like natural predators um, that eat them. Birds, you know, there's there's several species of of wasp and fly and stuff that lay their eggs on their uh, their their caterpillars and their chrysalises. But again, that's not really those are like natural predators of the monarch. So they're not really, like, what's causing um, <clears throat> that population decline. And obviously, uh, they're being affected, like all insects are, by climate change. Um, yeah, so there's been a big decrease in the population of basically every insect species. Um, you know, and a lot of this can be attributed to, to climate change. And, I mean, obviously that's affecting them, too. So they have a lot of... There's a lot of things that are sort of working against them. Um... Mm. And, I mean, this, the thing is, this kind of stuff is affecting really all insect species, um, but uh, it's just not as well researched in most of them, uh, because, well, you know, things like monarchs are, we like monarchs, cause, like, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty butterflies, but I'm sure with, um, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but there's also, I get the feeling that we'd probably see a lot of this same kind of stuff in most insect species if there was, you know, like, more research into them. Uh, mm. So, yeah, this is... I hate, I hate to, <laughs> to bring this podcast back to being kind of depressing, but it is a really um, concerning thing to me, you know, and, and to, to everyone, I think. But, because, um, I mean, because when I look at this, obviously, I it is, it is sad, and it's um, that, you know, potentially monarchs might go extinct or, or, or anything like that. But um, when I look at this, I also think about all the species that have you know, little to no research done on them for whatever reason, then could be probably are endangered right now. And we just don't uh, have the right research to you know, classify them as endangered. So 
I mean, I'm personally, I like wasps. I'm really interested in wasps. And there's, there's just not, there's like hardly any research on, um, on just, there's so many wasps out there. And we have described just like hardly any of them compared to how many there likely are. And I mean, there's probably a ton of those are probably would be classified as threatened or endangered or something, but you know, there's just like not, um, the research on them. And it is, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we're back to we're back to sad. I don't want this podcast to be sad. <laughs> this is a bit of a deviation from that, but it's kind of the same vein. Like, it's not a really I wouldn't call it an existential threat to monarchs, but captive breeding is a very popular subset of monarchs. Like we've done this before. We've raised a couple of monarchs in captivity. And there's some in operations that just like breed them mm-hmm. in captivity for for releases at weddings or, or parties or something. And there's research with captive bred monarchs actually have a extremely low chance of successfully uh, migrating back to mexico Mm -hmm. i don't know what they're like i don't know if if they're released between the generations i'm not sure how that would affect them like would they be able to i'm assuming they'd still be able to breed well and their genetics aren't changed but if they're if these monarchs are released in a migratory period um i think it was like like five percent of monarchs i think it was less but it was a really low number of monarchs that were bred in captivity actually make it back to mexico because mm-hmm. they like lose their sense of direction when they're released, they don't they don't follow the sun properly if they're raised inside or in captivity. Oh, we have to come up with something nice to end this on. This is, this got sad. <laughs> oh, I got one. They're I think they're one of the only insect species to have been bred in the International Science in oh. International Space Center. There you go, no yeah. astronauts. They're they're monarchs in the ISS. Well, I mean, yeah, those guys definitely have no sense of direction. That <laughs> yeah, they that they tracks. did not make I mean, it back to Mexico. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Uh, for from our hiatus. Yeah, episodes are still going to be more sporadic because we're both in school, yeah. but we'll try to keep them out. Yeah, we're, you know, we are recording more episodes. Yeah, probably not in the same schedule as we were before, but we still hope that you'll uh, tune in and listen to what we put out. So we'll see you all next time. Thank you.